It's time to shake up that paradigm. Welcome to Infinite Banking Radio. Hey everybody, this is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to Infinite Banking Radio. This is actually a special episode. I'm going to be playing a recording that was done in Nashville, Tennessee at the uh, at the Night of Clarity. So the Night of Clarity, for those of you who have been listening to the podcast for, for a few years, uh, we've, we've done some live recordings at the Night of Clarities uh, in the past. And so the Night of Clarity is put on by uh, Bob Murphy and Carlos Lara. And typically what they do is they spend uh, the first half of the day talking about the uh, theory behind the Austrian School of Economics and then spend uh, the second day talking about how the infinite banking concept is Austrian economics in practice. And uh, so this recording that you're going to hear is an actual live recording on the first day. Uh, We were actually going to do a live recording on the second day, uh, but you know how things go sometimes. We just uh, weren't able to to do it just for uh, uh, having to... Uh, travel and catch flights and so forth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to play play the first part for you, and then I'm going to come on again and uh, do some commentary on what happened in uh, the second day, and and just kind of reiterate a lot of uh, a lot of what we've talked about in previous podcasts uh, that were relating to the Austrian School of Economics. And so if you do want more information, just go go back to. Uh, the, the summer, so I think it was the July 2010 and July 2011 podcast. Those were the live commentary. Uh, and then also just go on to the, the, the podcast blog site, which is infinitebanking.libsyn.com. And on there, you can just search Bob Murphy. And uh, and and listen to the uh, listen to the interviews that I've had with him and and typically in the interviews I did with Bob uh, it was just introducing the idea of the Austrian School of Economics and where did it come from where did it originate uh, what are the tenets it obviously became a lot more popular over the last couple of years with the presidential run and Ron Paul and so forth uh, and so today there's there's still that theory out there there are some you know representatives in Congress that uh, that subscribe to that theory so it has it still has a, a, a pretty good amount of interest uh, but at the same time there's not a lot of context there so hopefully with uh, the podcast that we've done in the past as well as this one it'll provide some sufficient context to to know what the philosophy is maybe you subscribe to it maybe you don't uh, but I, I guarantee that there's something that's going to, to resonate with you uh, so enjoy this first part and I'll come on on the second part Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Infinite Banking Radio. This is Patrick Donahoe. We are in the uh, the deep south of Nashville, Tennessee for this month's episode. And uh, I'm joined by the one and only Brad Gibb. Brad, you're, you're, sporting a, you're sporting an interesting shirt today. Too bad we're not doing a video podcast. So it says, <laughs> it's about the Fed. The Fed bailed out the entire global financial system and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. That's a nice T-shirt. I thought it was fitting for the crowd that we're with. Okay, so, so we're so we're at uh, we're at the Night of Clarity. So this is the uh, it's the third the third Night of Clarity that they've done done here. They did one in 2010 uh, and then 2011. So basically, and then, and obviously this year. But basically, what the Night of Clarity is, it's put on by uh, Carlos Lair and Bob Murphy, who wrote a book called How Privatized Banking Really Works, uh, which is basically just showing the uh, uh, I guess the synchronicity behind the Austrian School of Economic Philosophy. And, uh, and the infinite banking concept, which is what Paradigm Life focuses on. So they, they, they wrote a really good book. You can order that book off of, uh, of Amazon. We have a few copies at the office if you want to email us or call us. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's really good. I mean, it's, it's very intellectual and very well, well written. It obviously discusses, 
you know, some, some somewhat controversial subjects uh, surrounding the, the need of a central banking system. Uh, and it you know gives evidence as far as what it's caused in the past as far as business cycles are concerned, uh, creating artificial stimulus and artificial uh, economic signals, which uh, uh, doesn't lead to the, the best choices sometimes. You know, perfect example of that is the, uh, the 2008 uh, real estate crash. And, and they did a very, very, it's very good as far as how they did that. Um, and then obviously how the infinite banking concept help, helps an individual to uh, unplug from the traditional banking system. And at the same time, it does give less power to banks because banks ultimately get money from deposits and are able to leverage those deposits up 10 times. Uh, whereas with the insurance company, uh, life insurance policy loans as well as cash values backed by 100% reserves. And there's no, you know, obviously a fractional reserve side of that. So it's a very, very well, well, uh, well round book. But, uh, but what we're going to talk about today in this podcast is, uh, is just basically the overall, uh, the overall theme or thesis or objective of the conference this year, and uh, and you know what's transpired over the last few years because it was interesting because the first because first ten, you came in 2011 with me and we did a podcast right, right. yep uh, and I came the previous year and mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff they were talking about in 2010 um, as far as potential. Uh, you know, monetary collapse, and we're going to have this. You know, it. You know, we're th- we're three years, almost four years into it, and, and you know, not much of a class that has happened. But it's the same theme this year, so we're going to kind of get into that as as a topic. Uh, but then just kind of discuss uh, uh, Ron Paul. Ron Paul was was here as the keynote speaker this year. Uh, did a really really good job, um, and so we'll talk about that as well. So I think that I think that'll probably cover us for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We got a lot of good lot of good things to go through. It's it, it's really. Uh, I, I like coming to these types of events, and I, I really like what Bob and Carlos put together because they're not just focusing on all the things that are wrong. Mm-hmm. We definitely have to acknowledge those, but they really try to get speakers and content that gives us an idea of what what the solution is mm-hmm. and how we're part of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's been a theme through uh, everybody that, that's contributed thus far has not just been what's the problem and what's broken, but how, how, how do we all help solve it? Yeah, and the book too. I mean, you look at the first yeah. half of the book, and, and it's kind of indicative of how they run this seminar, but the first half of the book talks mainly about monetary policy. It talks about the flaw in central banking, the flaw with how the government's looking at how to solve monetary and financial issues. Uh, and then the second half, or I guess it's probably maybe 30, 40% of the book, is dedicated to you know some of the solutions. So they have a sound money solution uh, that Bob Murphy goes through, you know, a, a commodity-backed currency. Uh, then also insurance as a p- uh, potential solution. Uh, so they do the same thing as far as you know the, the format here. So they'll do. Uh, f- you know, today was all about the economic issues, the economic problems, and then tomorrow we're going to talk about the solution. So we're going to break the podcast into two parts. Today we're going to talk about the, the problem. Uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about the solution. But yeah, there are there are there are always problems. I mean, human beings were. We're uh, we're fallible. We make mistakes. We're, we're, we do smart things, but we also do really stupid things. So there's, there's never going to be this utopia. There's never going to be this perfect society where nobody makes mistakes. I mean, that's just the way thing you know people learn. So there's always going to be there's always going to be problems. But it it comes down to how people approach the problem. And I really think that's kind of the over overlying theme is that our government is dependent on it itself, uh, or I, I, would, I should say the people are dependent on the government to solve the problems for them, where that is not always the best way of doing it. So let's talk financially about that. So some of the themes today was talking about, you know, 2008 collapse. And obviously that wasn't the first economic collapse. There's been many in the past, but it's the one that we most recently remember. Um, so looking at the problem, what caused the problem? Well, the, it, it really is the theme of what we're all focused on, the theme of the of the event is the 100 year anniversary of the federal that, that's true yep that's so a good point that's where we were going with it was you know the the solution that has been proposed was a federal reserve yeah. to help these things and some of the first speakers um bob murphy uh, particularly went through kind of the history 
and uh, Tom Woods did a very good job of, of giving a scorecard mm-hmm. to how effective that proposed solution has been over the last hundred years. Yep. And kind of the uh, spoiler alert on that was it, it it wasn't what everybody hoped it was going to be, and no. he he was not able to give them a passing grade on it. And, w- and what's interesting is well, one thing I caught from that is when I mean the, the government basically thrives off the idea of fear. And it basically says, if we don't do this, such as the bailout, yep. you know, if we don't bail out, the whole monetary system is going to collapse. And the thing is, we don't know what really would have happened. It could have collapsed. It could have completely collapsed. But we don't know what exactly would have happened if, if they did not bail them out. Yep. So when they come and say, oh, it worked because we didn't have a Great Depression, it's like, okay, well, yeah, we, we know what we didn't have, but who knows what we would have had well, if you didn't have. bail, us out, bail yeah. us out. But the thing I caught was... They always say it's going to solve this problem, and it really doesn't. Um, but we have this, you know, it, it's uh, we, we have this uh, amnesia of, of sorts where it's it's so far down the line we kind of forget what they promised us and forget what the problem was. And you know, years in the future, I mean, it doesn't really matter anyway as far as a human being is concerned. So that's one of the things I yeah. came from Tom oh, Woods' speech. And, and I, I took away a similar thing that we've we create this boogeyman in order to then feel good that he didn't get us. <laughs> When we're not even sure the boogeyman's there, yeah, and that's, what, a, good, that's a good analogy. What he kind of went into was how we how how we create this boogeyman, and we've talked about this before, Patrick, on an earlier podcast about trying to use economic models mm-hmm. to predict erratic, yeah, using, a lot of times using unra- irrational fixed, behavior, using fixed variables when there's an inevitability of non-fixed variables. And so he kind of said that that's what our economists are doing to yeah. us is they're using these models to say oh the end of the world is going to be here if we don't do this this or this. Yeah. So we need so they create this yeah, they this boogeyman with crystal ball that what people are going to do. With, 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 with yeah with these false uh, economic models yeah. are then creating this problem that we now have to go fix yeah. where um, and, you know he gave a couple examples where at, at one, and Nelson gave this example at one point in time um, they were predicting that all of the, f- the forests in the United States were going to be exhausted within a, you know one person's lifetime. It's like you look around now. We and that was in the fifties or sixties. They yeah. were going to say, yeah, all the trees, all the timber was going to mm-hmm. disappear in the United States. And how many times have we heard, uh, you know, we're going to have overpopulation of food storage, or oil running out, and yeah. all those kinds of things? It, it doesn't ever seem to come about because uh-huh. they're using a linear projection of a model or something yeah. that doesn't take into account what we don't know that's on the yeah. horizon. And that one thing we don't know is human innovation. It, human innovation exactly. always comes in. And it, it solves problems. It creates it creates yep. efficiency. So people are trying to make predictive models as far as the future is concerned when they have no idea what human beings are going to do. Because that is a that is a variable that is always going to be changed, and it's always going to surprise you. So yep. to provide some context here, I mean these are not dumb dumb guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean so so Tom Woods is you know, his undergrad from Harvard. His is a PhD from uh, Columbia. Yep. He has a, a he's testifying in front of Congress. So is Bob Murphy. They've been on very reputable TV shows. I mean these are guys. The guys that study this for a living, they study, they study history, they study economic principle, and here they are talking about just one of the central issues that we have as a as, as a uh, as, as a society, because it's not just the United States, it's the world, where you have this idea of a central bank, and people just just assume it as status quo, and they really don't look at it as, as do we have to have this or we don't have to have this. And, and one of the questions that was asked, who would you uh, you know who would you have as the next chairman of the Federal Reserve? Who would be better? And it's like, well, why don't you ask the question? Why do we need a Federal Reserve? Yeah. Right. Why do we need a central bank? Yeah, and and he kind of used the example of it was kind of a, a funny one where he said when he was a kid he didn't understand um, how how being poisoned worked. Like you drank this little thing and then all of a sudden you died. And he didn't he didn't get how that could do it. Yeah. And he, he made the connection. He said before you understand how 
that could have a negative how, effect. How poison can kill you. You have to know first how the human body functions. Yeah. And then you can realize, oh, if you take one of those functions away, the, you know, the poison stops your heart from beating. Now now we can make the connection of, exactly. of where it went wrong. Yeah. And so there, what he did a really good job was kind of going through and saying this is how an economy functions and this is how the Austrians view the structure of a successful economy so that now we can look into it and say, okay, if we tweak with this, such as interest rates, we now know the effect of that poison and how it's going to play out. Mm -hmm. And he made the point that it was really only the Austrian school Mm -hmm. that had an underlying theory that could really point out what was going on in 2008 and predicted Mm -hmm. ahead of time. And it's it's happened many times where the Austrians have been able to do that. Um, But but what's interesting, though, is he, he also made a point which says all of the different schools of economics could go back to the past and they could say, oh, well, I, we, we knew this and this and this and this, and they can justify mm-hmm. their philosophy on economics and why it, it had precedent or it was, you know, it was viable during this transition or this period of time. Um, but it's really you know, the, the Austrian school that was able to make predictions because you can go and they, he, they referenced uh, Peter Schiff was right, which is a, mm-hmm. a very popular YouTube video. They also referenced Bernanke was wrong. And it basically just goes in and shows what their philosophy was at the time when the crisis was on the brink of happening. Uh, and what their what their theories were, and yep. what they were saying, alluding to what was going to happen in the future. So the whole point, again, the whole point of this conference was just to, again to show. And we've had you know there, there's many podcasts that we've had in the past that discuss the same theme. If you if you are kind of lost because it's the first time you listen to the podcast, you're probably like, what the heck are these guys talking about? Uh, definitely go back and look at our our. Uh, probably our June or July podcast of 2010 and 2011. And we discuss, you know, kind of the general basis of Austrian economics. Plus, there's uh, a few interviews of Bob Murphy. Uh, and the, I think I did maybe three podcasts with him in the past, which talk about the foundation of uh, Austrian Austrian School of Economics. And uh, and so, yeah, this this, uh, this conversation we're having right now requires a lot of context. Yep. So if you're lost, definitely go back and review those podcasts yep. and then listen to this one. But the point of this one is, is really talking about um, very similar things, but also it's bringing in the element of how popular this philosophy has become. Uh, and the reason why Ron Paul is here is because he was really the catalyst to bringing you know the Austrian School of Economics to the forefront of Austrian of, of economic theory, because in the past it was you know more more Keynesian theory, it was more government intervention theory or government involvement theory, whereas Austrians are basically personal liberty and, and hands off laissez faire type of theory, uh, and so th- it was another theme, but it was also looking at kind of. Uh, you know the the past couple of years and what has occurred then. And my whole point was, you know, you look at these guys back in 2010, and they were saying, you know, it's going to implode, and we're going to have all these issues that are coming, they're coming, they're coming, and nobody really knows when they're coming, right? It could be 50 years down the road, it could be 10. I mean, look at Japan. Japan's going to be going through this for how many how many decades? So we're at a point in time where it's. The, the world is incredible. There's so much innovation. There's so much progress. Uh, but at the same time, there is this cancer that's inside of, of our economy, which is a manipulative government intervention theory. Uh, and it's destructive. And it's leading to you know, ma- major issues. Um, so let's, let's talk about just some of the, the maybe the immorality or uh, the unprincipled nature of, of just a, an interventionist type of, uh, type of theory, which our, currently our infrastructure has. I mean, there's a lot of different. Unfortunately, there's a lot of different directions we could probably go on that. But um, really, I, I guess the one that that rings out to me is is the use of 
of force or, or coercion mm-hmm. and not allowing people to make choices that they feel are the best for themselves mm-hmm. trying to get everybody um, under the and, and it's under a, the the perceived notion that it's good for you yeah and so these are these are probably well-to-do people mean well-meaning people trying mm-hmm. to get you to do it but but they presume they have knowledge mm-hmm. that is is superior to yours or mine okay and they can force or course you to make a decision that they feel is is the best one okay and if that has its own underlying i guess immorality um, okay. so how does that so how how would you how would what type of example would you use then for like a, a central bank and how that uh inhibits a person from being able to make their own choices and being imposed on her yeah how, how what would, would it be an example so so i guess i guess the way that uh, it was discussed in specifically in the federal reserve is um one of the things that we use to make decisions is interest rates. Mm-hmm. Whether you're going to borrow money for a car or pay cash or whether you're going to invest in a mutual fund or in a money market account or whatever you know, interest-bearing account, it, your decisions are going to be based on the prevailing market interest rate. And particularly in an investment, you know, if, if, if interest rates in a bank are maybe 2% and there's um, an investment that you can make uh, in real estate or in a business that might yield a 6% rate of return, and that type, you might look at that and say, I'll, I'll, I'll take the risk and, and go after a 6% interest because rate. Because interest rates are so low, so you're discouraged from saving and encouraged to invest. Yes. Okay. Whereas if the market interest rate or the demand for savings happen to be 8%, mm-hmm. you might say, well, I'm going to leave it in, in that safe investment, give it to somebody else to invest, and I won't take on yeah. uh, the risk and Great on, on, on my own. Yeah. And the Federal Reserve having control over what that interest rate has nothing to do with whether I'm going to be productive with my money or you would be more yeah. productive with it, which would really be the demand you know, supply and demand that, that would mm-hmm. create interest rates. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is saying, this is where the interest rate ought to be and we ought to be investing in this place because yep. interest rates are telling us that. Yep. When without true knowledge and understanding individuals making those choices, mm-hmm. one person or a small group of people are making that choice. No, that's a good point. Us. No, yeah, I mean, because you, you come down, I mean, the, some of the examples that they use, I mean, they don't, they don't have like a, a, a manipulated price for hot dogs or they don't have a manipulated price for, um, you know, Let's say potato chips. I mean, it's a, it's a free market, and so the supply and demand. I mean, if a person was going to buy or a person was going to charge fifty dollars for a bag of t- potato chips, no one would buy potato chips. So they need to figure out a way in which they can sell them for ninety nine cents to be competitive with you know other type of food of that caliber. So with interest rates, it should be the same thing, mm-hmm. which is if people are willing to save more, then you know banks are are going to start to lower interest rate because they want to lend money, okay? And uh, if they want people to borrow. Then they need to lower interest rates so people will be be willing to incentivize to borrow, and that kind of you know demand and supply as far as people wanting to earn or people wanting to borrow should dictate what people's behavior is. But now you have this cartel, you know, bank cartel, the Federal Reserve, that's basically just basically saying this is what the price should be, which is saying that potato chips potato chips should be fifty dollars a bag or twenty five dollars a bag or whatever, where there's no real determination there. And that and the thing is, they're able to manipulate whatever those interest rates are because they are able to push in supply and demand of, of yep. money by printing money, buying bonds and, and so forth. But one of the one of the examples that really I think is simple was Leonard Reed, who was uh oh, sorry, Lawrence Reed, who was who was here, who's the, who the president of foundation the Foundation for Economic Education, what did he say about coat tickets? Remember, remember he was talking about that? Mm-hmm. So if you went to a concert and there were a hundred coats checked and suddenly the guy was like, the guy at the, you know, that was checking the coat says, I should print off a hundred more of these coat tickets and, uh, and, go, and go sell them somewhere. <laughs> and yeah. then, so now you have 200 claims on a hundred coats. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing as far as manipulation of the currency yeah. is that we, when we buy something or we have a job 
and the value of our currency can change next year, we're making a decision right now based on the current value of whatever that currency is. Okay, and if it's going to change next year and we have no control over it, it might have affected the decision we're going to make today. So that's the thing is we're making decisions based on you know variables that we can't control sometimes, and well, that's very it's unfortunate and it is unprincipled because we should be able to not be for and it's not like they're forcing us to take a position or not, but at the same time they're tainting some of the main variables behind why a person works, why a person invests, why a person saves, etc. And and the coat ticket example goes one level further to kind of show a little bit of the absurdity of, of the idea of of uh, the money manipulation side because what the Austrians recognize is money has no value. Money isn't what we're after. It's yeah. it's a it's an underlying set of goods and services that really create wealth that make us feel wealthy. It's not about acquiring money. Yeah. It's about what we then do with it. Yep. Nobody keeps the money. It's what I get to get yeah. for it. It's the good so service. That ticket example. The ticket isn't what's valuable. It's your it's coat, coat that it represents. Valuable. Exactly. It's the number. It's the goods that we can get yep. with our money. It's not about having more tickets. Yep. And so if they put out more tickets to help us all feel good, yeah. nobody's really any better off because no. there aren't any, there's no claim there's on no, an item. There's no additional it. coats. And, <laughs> and so, and the idea that we're in this recovery is, is hopefully we are. But what people are raising is, is we don't know whether we are yeah. because the prices of things are manipulated and, yep. and money is going into certain sectors that we don't know if it's profitable. Yep. We don't know if it's what we want. We yep. don't know if it's producing for us the things to make us feel wealthy yep. because that price uh, and, and you know the supply and demand side is, yep. is, is out of you know equilibrium. It's, it's, it's not what we're all choosing individually. It's yep. what one person or one small group feels is the best for everybody, yep. which and again that, goes back to that deception. Yeah, and, side. yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, what's good for one person is not necessarily good for the other person, mm-hmm. and it just, it just, it, it again, it taints and it manipulates a person's ability to make their own decisions because they're they're making decisions based on false assumptions, yep. and and nobody's ever going to make a good decision under those under those conditions. Yep. Um, okay, so this is this is the theory side of things. I mean, this is the Austrian theory is is very interesting, but the underlying. Uh, the underlying premise is is being able to choose, choose for yourself, not have somebody choose for you. Uh, it's to be able to make your own mistakes and learn from those mistakes, as opposed to somebody coming in and uh, you know scooping you up and saying, "Don't you don't worry, you don't have to suffer from your mistake. We'll we'll take care of you." Which on the surface sounds really good, but in the end is is very destructive because a lesson isn't learned from that. So. Austrian school, I guess you can kind of consider it in a few different ways. One of the main ways is what we just talked about, personal liberty, um, but it also, also comes with the idea of sound money because sound money tells the truth. Sound money mm-hmm. says this is what a person is willing to pay for this good and service, and it cannot be manipulated. The government can come and manipulate it, which taints your ability to make a decision. So, we're, th- I mean, the Austrian thing, we could go on for freaking hours days, about this. Days and days. Um, but we'll, we'll leave it at that, and we're going to reference uh, the last couple podcasts we did about the Austrian Austrian theory, uh, both by uh, Carlos, I'm sorry, Bob Murphy. There's, I think there's, there's at least two, probably three. Uh, and then also the summer podcast, uh, July podcast of 2010 and 2011, uh, which were done here in, here in Nashville at the same event. So go check those out. Uh, and we're going to be back tomorrow for the second half of the podcast uh, talking about the actual implementation of the infinite banking concept and how that's considered Austrian economics and practice. Sounds great. So to sum up some of the, just some of the thoughts that, uh, that, that Brad and I have, uh, I, th- I think uh, the the best summary would be a uh, a speech that was given by Robert Wenzel in in, uh, in front of the Federal Reserve, and uh, you can uh, I'll actually put a link to it in in the podcast. But just uh, just just search Bob Wenzel or Robert Wenzel and Federal Reserve, and you should be able to pull up his his blog. Uh, but the point he was he was making there is 
in this in this specific uh, speech he was given to the Federal Reserve is is the fact that you know economists are uh, creating these algorithms, creating these equations with uh, with fixed variables, and looking at an economy, an economy is made up of human beings, and human beings are the least fixed things that that exist. We're the most volatile, uh, irrational of uh, human beings, but but yet the Federal Reserve is trying to predict based on fixed static human behavior, which uh, which will never exist. So at the end of the day, the Austrian School of Economics just talks about individual freedom. I think that's kind of one of the main main, main premises, uh, because there's never going to be a utopia. There's never going to be a perfect economy. Uh, there's always going to be people that are that are uh, doing things below board, doing things unethically. Uh, there's going to be people that make mistakes and have business failures and create products that have no worth. I mean, it's going to go on and on. And on. That's just the nature of an economy. It's the nature of business. It's just the nature of life. And and so looking at everything that we could potentially do to create some fixed variables in our life, uh, that will just that will help mitigate. Uh, the the irrational volatility of of, uh, of human behavior. So the infinite banking concept, and one of the things that was uh, a, a challenge in the second day of this conference was uh, was Bob and Carlos uh, trying to communicate a, a relatively uh, complex uh, financial strategy uh, to to neophytes, and it was you know talking about insurance and banking and loans and and how it related to Austrian economics, which is I mean ambiguous in and of itself. So it was, it was a very difficult subject to tackle. But I think they did a great job. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the fixed variables that I was talking about is the insurance side of things. I mean, if, if you look at insurance companies, by no means are they uh, 100% bulletproof. But relatively speaking, compared to other institutions, I would argue that they uh, do do have some bulletproofness uh, to them because they've been around for hundred, hundreds of years. Uh, their profit model is, is not based on speculation. It's based on probability. It's based on fixed returns, and it's based on uh, mortality and, and, and determining when a person is going to pass away given health, sex, age, and, and so forth. So looking at insurance and specifically building it uh, for cash value uh, gives gives a savings vehicle that has never been able to have been matched uh, relative to its its uh, um, its you know guaranteed returns, its stability, its history of paying dividends, and obviously the tax benefits associated with it. Uh, on top of it, the the liquidity being able to access it before. Uh, your older ages, which is commonplace with most uh, traditional savings plans, 401ks and IRAs and so forth. Uh, but it's the loan provision as well. So the reason why I say these fixed variables are important because, you know, hu- human beings, we, you know, our, our minds are very, uh, are very sporadic. We, we're always, you know, not always, but a lot of the times we're focused on the short term, focused on, you know, what's going on in our lives right, right in this moment, and we're not necessarily giving uh, credence to the to the future, uh, and specifically to future expenses that we're going to have, uh, different things that are just going to be you know, curveballs or, or uh, just things that are be thrown in thrown into life that uh, that, that we're, we weren't preparing for, and uh, and obviously having the ability to have liquid savings, the ability to have a loan provision, uh, that helps. And another thing which uh, which I find very valuable as well is that the idea behind the banking concept, having your own business, uh, allows you to make better financial decisions. Uh, because when you adopt some of the principles of the infinite banking concept, you are essentially promising to to pay yourself pay yourself back. Now you don't have to. Okay, it's not something that's forced upon you, uh, but you basically take some stewardship and you purchase things with the expectation that you're going to make systematic payments back to it. And what that does is it 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 uh, it, it really influences human behavior. And you are, are saving more and doing things different, purchasing 
purchasing more efficiently using this concept than using any other method, whether it's credit or or cash. Um, so so looking at you know what what they were trying to what Bob and, and what Carlos were trying to put together and tie everything in the end, it, it does have a lot to do with liberty and free contracts and free contracts with free people, uh, which is you know basically a contract, an insurance contract between a private company, private insurance company, and uh, and a private individual. That's that's the one thing. There's very limited uh, government control over these plans, and the Austrian School of Economics is very uh, in favor of that. But one thing that they did, you know, they did uh, want to tie as well is the fact that uh, insurance companies do not participate in the fractional reserve side of the banking system, which was discussed uh, between Brad, Brad and I. And, and that is very destructive because it takes money, which is ultimately the, you know, a, a byproduct of value, and it just it bastardizes that, that concept because uh, money is printed from thin air with, with uh, fractional reserve banking. If banks have a million dollars in deposit, they can have a $10 million outstanding loan balance. Where did that $9 million come from? So, and again, it's it's the thin air type of type of concept, which is very destructive because it just uh, belittles and uh, dilutes the the value of production because production cannot be created out of thin air. Something has to be created or something has to be done as far as a service service is concerned. Um, so the the idea of an insurance company is that they have to have uh, first off they don't practice fractional reserve banking. Uh, their obligations to policy owners, which is their cash value, uh, has to have a full backing of of reserves. It's a hundred percent reserve requirement. And so that's one of the other ties to the Austrian School of Economics. But anytime individuals are using a credit card or using a, a bank loan, they are essentially participating in fractional reserve banking. And uh, we become become so accustomed to this uh, as, as a society, so accustomed to to using banks and being taught that that's where you know that's where your money goes. And I'm not saying it's it's a bad thing. I think it's a relatively good thing having a checking account, having you know depository accounts that make purchases a little bit more e- efficient. Um, but my my point is, if you have lots of money, you know, th- hundreds of thousands, uh, millions of dollars in these types of institutions, you know, savings wise, uh, those institutions are are taking that money, making very high returns, speculating with it, and uh, it's it's unfortunate what the banking system has has become. Uh, but I think it's uh, I, I guess tying everything together and wrapping this uh, wrapping this podcast up. I think people are becoming more aware. Uh, thankfully, we have the internet. Thankfully, we have the ability to to speak and. Uh, say things that are on our mind and illustrate things on YouTube and and uh, create blogs and create newsletters and create you know all sorts of media that that is allowing these types of these types of things to be exposed because the Federal Reserve been around, has been around for a hundred years and uh, and and most people up until you know maybe a a couple a decade ago really weren't sure what it was uh, but now it is you know it's, it's almost verbatim it's uh, I've, I've had conversations on planes had with you know no no questions in regards to what I do uh, professionally but just conversations that were brought up about you know banking in the Federal Reserve so it's it's it's, it's good because it's being exposed people are learning what it is and uh, and hopefully that reduces the amount of influence they have and reduces the amount of power that they have which is going to continually uh, devalue valuing uh, value and devaluing production. So for more information on on uh, the Austrian School of Economics, uh, you can go to 
www.mises.org, or you could go to www.fee.org. Those are some really good websites. You can also uh, look at Lou Rockwell's blog. Uh, It's www.lourockwell.org. Uh, and then Rockwell, R-O-C-K-W-E-L-L. That's a great blog uh, to follow. Uh, the Daily Reckoning by Bill Bonner. That's also a good good blog. Uh, and and just I mean literally just just uh, Google Google Austrian economics. I'm sure a lot of resources will will pop up uh, for information on the infinite banking concept and uh, for uh, I, I guess one way of of uh, being tuned into this philosophy, uh, both Austrian economics and uh, the infinite banking concept is uh, Carlos uh, Carlos Lara and Bob Murphy's newsletter, which is actually really good. Uh, and so it's uh, it's called the Lara Murphy Report. And uh, I believe you can go on to infinitebanking.org, so www.infinitebanking.org, and uh, and on there you can have there's a, a link to subscribe to that. And obviously on that page there's going to be more information about the infinite banking concept. Uh, but exciting, excitingly enough, uh, we our website, our new website is finally done. Uh, we have a free e-learning co- course on there called Infinite 101. Uh, it's uh, it's looking really good, and it's very functional, very easy to use, and it has uh, about 10 tutorials on there on most every basic question that an individual has in regards to the infinite banking concept. So go to our website, www.paradigmlife.net, and, uh, and that's uh, up in the left-hand corner, you'll see Infinite 101. Just click on there. You can register for free and uh, and and have at it as far as... Uh, you know, probably in the neighborhood of 10, 15 hours of, uh, of, of video tutorials that explain, like I said, the main uh, main questions that we typically get at Paradigm Life in regards to the infinite banking concept. So that is, uh, that's all for today. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.